Hello, this is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, and this is Shrink Speak. I want to talk about a question that occurs to many people in the course of their lives, even if they don't know or won't admit it. When do you need to see a psychiatrist? I'm discussing this question in the context of a series of four podcasts. This is the third in that series, and it has to do with how do you find a psychiatrist and who should you see and what should you expect from them. Now, we've determined how you should be able to recognize whether you need professional help for a mental problem. This could be the beginning of what could be a lifelong recurrent illness, or it could be some type of transient phenomenon as a result of your life circumstances and stressful or adverse developments. In any case, you're not the person that makes that determination. That's why you go to a professional. But you've come to the point of believing that there's something going on with your mental state that's out of the ordinary, is distressing, and potentially interfering with your enjoyment of life, your ability to function. And for that reason, you want to find out what it is. So most people, when they have some problem with their body, they go to see their doctor. In this case, it's a problem from a part of their body that's much more opaque and difficult to really evaluate and know about. So it has to do with your mind, your feelings, your brain, and the doctor that is responsible or that specializes in conditions of the brain as relates to mental function behavior are psychiatrists. But As you know, there are many people who provide mental health care. Uh, Psychiatrists are one type. They're trained in mental function and disorders, and they are medical doctors. But there's also psychologists who train in human behavior and uh, the mind. There's also social workers who practice uh, counseling or psychotherapy. There are self-styled therapists who have no degree. You don't need a license to call yourself a therapist and promote your ability to help people with problems with their life or with uh, the way they're feeling. Counselors, clergymen, depending on your faith, a guru, a new age practitioner, a chiropractor. There's many different individuals who either have or claim to have expertise that could be helpful in these instances. Um, And that, frankly, is part of the confusion. I mean, if you twist your ankle, you have no question what kind of doctor you're supposed to see. You know, if you have difficulty seeing, you know, you know you should go to an ophthalmologist. If you have a wart or some type of skin lesion, a dermatologist. But in the case of a mental problem, it's much more ambiguous. Now, the pros and the cons, essentially, of these individuals have to do with level of education, sophistication, expertise, cost also, and accessibility. So you have to balance, do you want the kind of Rolls Royce of mental health care professionals, or do you want to start with a more of an economy-sized version and work your way up as needed or not? So this is something that is, I think, a consideration and part of the process, but is also something that causes delay and uncertainty in terms of what should be done So if you want my opinion, which I hope you do since you're listening, not everyone needs to see a psychiatrist, but 
Psychiatrists are the most highly trained individuals with the greatest level of expertise. And apart from the fact that the cost may be greater, I believe it's helpful to start there for an evaluation that you can rely on to be definitive and comprehensive. But if you want my opinion, I believe that it's well advised to begin with a psychiatrist because they are the most highly educated, greatest expertise, and can provide what you can consider to be a reliable, definitive, and comprehensive diagnostic evaluation of what is called a chief complaint. In other words, what is the reason that you're seeing them? When you go to see the psychiatrist and you tell them your story and they ask you questions and they do whatever the requisite evaluation is, sometimes may require tests, whether blood tests or imaging procedures or anything else. But when that's complete, you would hope that they would be able to give you a diagnosis and a recommendation of what is needed for treatment. Could be that they'll say, you know, it's really nothing at all. You know, you're just going through a difficult period in your life. What you're experiencing is not at all unusual. Unless it lingers or worsens, there's really nothing further that needs to be done. On the other hand, they may say that uh, I believe you could be suffering from this condition or that condition, or maybe the lingering effects of some type of traumatic experience that occurred, but they will give you some evaluative explanation and a recommendation for treatment. Now, it may be that if the condition is such that it's relatively mild, not medically complicated, doesn't require medication or hospitalization, that if it's a form of talk therapy, that this can be provided to some to you by somebody who's not a psychiatrist but is competent in that particular therapeutic modality and is more accessible and less expensive. And you could ask the doctor about that. Can they refer you? Or they may take it upon themselves to suggest you, you know, you might want to see my colleague who's a social worker or psychologist, and they can carry out this course of brief psychotherapy or whatever the treatment recommended is. On the other hand, if it is a more complicated or severe condition, then you may want to stick with your psychiatrist and then determine what is the nature of the treatment required and, and how long will you need to be engaged with them. And this gets you to sort of the next consideration, which is how do you find such a person? Now, here I'd like to just illustrate the difficulty that comes when you're dealing with mental conditions in psychiatry as opposed to other medical conditions. And that has to do with stigma. The issue is that people often are embarrassed about acknowledging the fact that they have some kind of mental problem that requires the treatment of a psychiatrist. And uh, as a result of that, they're reluctant to go or they wouldn't know sort of how to find somebody through the usual channels of obtaining a uh, professional referral. Now, the example I want to show you is the fact that a few years ago, I had to give a talk at a luncheon in Midtown about mental illness to raise money for psychiatric research. And it was a very Tony affair with a lot of very educated, sophisticated people. And I circulated among the attendees, smart, successful, many professionals. And they had been invited by the host, whose family member had been a patient of mine, a woman named Sarah, a prominent socialite. Her family member had developed schizophrenia very severe condition, was hospitalized, treated, but with relatively good outcome. But then, unfortunately, as often is the case, 
discontinued treatment, thought they could go it alone, had a relapse, and under the influence of those symptoms, committed suicide. So Sarah had really dedicated herself to wanting to do something to ensure that this didn't happen to other families. Now, the guests chatted over the usual kinds of things, that uh, such kinds of events, and they openly praised Sarah for her selflessness and uh, her efforts to raise awareness and, and money for research, but none admitted to any direct experience with mental illness or psychiatry themselves. In fact, the way that they talked about it, even though this was like a universally admirable cause, was like they were talking about a genocide in Sudan or a tsunami in Indonesia. It was an issue deserving of public attention, but distant and removed from themselves. After the event, I received, as frequently as the case, a series of phone calls over the ensuing days and weeks from attendees asking for guidance in how to help themselves, a family member, a child, spouse, parent, in terms of obtaining help for a described condition that required mental health care. And as this has occurred over many, many years now, it strike, struck me as being so indicative of the stigma associated with the condition because these are educated, sophisticated people, access to the very best health care that money could buy, and they're seeking a psychiatric referral through a random acquaintance they met at some social fundraising event instead of going the usual routes of referral, which presumably would go through their primary care doctor. Usually people would go for a referral first to their primary care doctor, and that's what I would recommend also. But the main thing is, is that you do shop around to find a competent psychiatrist, and if your primary care doctor or friends that you know of and can rely on don't have any other suggestions, all else fails, call the office of the chairman of the medical school in your area and ask for a referral specifically for the type of condition that you believe you have. Now, when you are able to obtain an appointment to see somebody, a number of things need to be done to establish the terms of engagement. Unfortunately, the first thing is that, and this doesn't have to be first to be done, but it's one of the things that will come up in that first visit, you need to determine how much it costs and how is it going to be paid for. And the reason I say this is because Healthcare financing in this country is extremely complicated and inadequate, and the insurance benefits when it comes to mental health care are variable and often meager. And unfortunately, many psychiatrists do not even take insurance. Uh, forget about Medicaid and probably Medicare, but even private insurance oftentimes, and that means pay out of pocket. Now, some people actually prefer to pay out of pocket because they don't want any documented record of them having seen a psychiatrist for having a mental illness. I think this is wrong and unfortunate, but it happens. But the biggest, bigger problem is that the benefits often don't cover the physician's fee, and the individual has to pay out of pocket necessarily. So you need to make a determination of how your care is going to be paid for at some point. Now, finances shouldn't be a barrier to care. You should be able to find care even if it's at a clinic at a hospital or medical school but that'll have to be determined. In addition, based on your diagnosis, the other things that you want to know is what is the course of treatment? What is it going to entail? Is it medication or talk therapy or both? Is there anything else that has to accompany it? 
how long is it going to take? What is the duration of this uh, therapeutic process? Uh, what's the frequency of visits? And what are the goals, and how are you going to evaluate your success in achieving those goals? So many people think going to a shrink means you're going to go there whatever frequency, weekly, biweekly, semi-weekly, and continue it forever. But that's not the case. Just like you go to doctors for different durations, it's the same thing with your psychiatrist. Now, we go to our doctors at different frequencies for different reasons. Your primary care doctor, you could potentially go to them periodically for life. But if you have a broken bone, you have an eye problem, you have a, a respiratory problem, kidney problem, you will go to the specialist for some defined period of time. And if it's a surgery, you see the surgeon prior to and at the surgery, and then when you recover, and then you never see them again. With mental disorders and psychiatry, the sort of plan, it doesn't mean that you're locked into it, but that's what your expectation is, should be defined. And there should be some general milestones established at which time you would evaluate, okay, we've implemented this treatment, you've had this amount of time on it, it's working or it's not working. And if it's not working, what are we doing next? So it's not sort of a blank check, you know, open-ended uh, process of engagement. Now, a word about the issue of kind of therapy. Unfortunately, there exists still uh, some kind of um, ideological biases towards the preference of medication or what's called neuromodulatory therapy, brain stimulation types therapies, and talk therapies. And this is unfortunate and totally unwarranted. So many people ex exhibit the influence of these ideological differences by saying, I don't want to take medication. It's a sign of weakness. These things aren't good for you. I'll get dependent on it. And they say, I want to do it on my own, or I want to do it with talk therapy. That's nonsense. If you have some heart problem or some blood pressure problem or some problem with diabetes, or some respiratory problem, and the doctor says you need an inhaler, you need an antihypertensive, you need an oral hypoglycemic, maybe dieting, fasting, losing weight is an option, but it's not necessarily exclusive to not using medication, particularly if it's an acute situation. The idea that these psychotropic medications are harmful, not good, will create dependency is completely fallacious. And just like you may have to take hypertension medication for an indefinite period of time, even you have to take lithium for bipolar disorder, an antidepressant for mood disorder, an antipsychotic for a psychotic disorder for an indefinite period of time, there's nothing wrong with it. And to not do that is really foolish. So it doesn't mean that that's the be all and end all and that it precludes talk therapy, or that in some cases talk therapy may be preferable, but these ideological bias shouldn't color your thinking about that, and you shouldn't shop for a doctor who just tells you what you want to hear. So to conclude, I would say the good news is that for a mental health problem, there is effective treatment available in competent mental health professionals. The less good news is the fact that for mental disorders, it's more complicated and often takes more time and takes a little more persistence or wherewithal to find. But it is there for you. Don't deny it. Don't deny yourself because it makes the difference in terms of quality of life and in many cases, life and death. And above all, don't be embarrassed by 
the fact that it is a mental disorder, you need a mental health professional, and that it has something to do with your mental state and behavior. And the good news is, is that there is care that can be effective and can make all the difference in the world. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman for Shrink Speak. Thank you.